Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spufford, joined as always by the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, late last week, we got our first look, a first-hand look, at the Packers rookie class for 2019. The annual rookie minicamp took place the weekend after the draft. Eight draft picks, 11 undrafted free agents, uh, close to a couple dozen tryout players were, uh, were all there. We only got to watch about a half hour's worth of practice, so there wasn't a whole lot we could glean from there. But we did get to interview players in the locker room after practice. Just curious what your first impressions were of the Packers 2019 rookie class. Well, this is I always enjoy rookie camp. Because the locker room session, especially this year where there was only one uh, open locker room for the camp, yeah, it always tests our teamwork, uh, probably more <laughs> so than any other event that we cover throughout the course of the year. It's Spofford, it's Hodkowitz, it's the one-two punch, you're over there, I'm over here. <laughs> so we basically, it's divide and conquer the eight different uh, draft picks the Packers had. So I was over at Rashawn Gary, you went over to Darnell Savage, and we just kind of uh, you know pieced it out that way. Being at Gary and listening to him talk for the first time, addressing the media in person, I was really impressed with the young man. This is a guy that certainly has all the measurables, has all the skills, has all the times and in, in what you look for out of a top 15 pick. But it was also really interesting and captivating listening to him talk about his journey and what it meant for him to make it to this level. I know there are some questions out there. You and I have received those in inbox, and we've seen them on social media, people wondering about his stats and his sacks and his production at Michigan. Right. But somebody else brought it up in the column this week, and I thought it was a really astute observation. I mean, this is a very similar situation to what Ted Thompson encountered with Clay Matthews in some regard. Now, Gary was a higher-touted prospect than Matthews was when he went to USC. He was just a walk-on, but a lot of it was based on projection of them going in the first round. For me, Michael, I would rather, I I said this a hundred times already, I would rather a player have nine and a half sacks in three years in college and have the type of measurables and times that Gary had over a guy that had 30 but didn't test as well. What you did in college is great. It's going to set you up for what you do in the NFL, but ultimately it's about what you can be as a player. How big are your paws? What can you offer a team in the long run? And I think Gary is one of those players that really is enticing when you look at the total package. Yeah, and Gary is the type of player, when you talk about the stats from college and all that, this is where the scouts earn their money. Right. This is why they get paid what they get paid. Because, yeah, a lot of people, they love the stats. You All the college clips are on YouTube these days. You can go out there and find the highlights of any draft prospect, almost any player in college out there. But the scouts know the guy across from him who he beats to get that right. sack. Now, you know, is that really going to be worth it in the NFL? Is that guy going to the NFL as well? Or is that guy the backup right tackle because somebody was injured and he just got smoked by an NFL prospect? Now, those are extreme examples, so to speak, you know, but that's why the scouts look at everything. Right. They they parse they parse over every ounce of the film, so to speak, every frame of the film to get the complete picture of the player and make that projection as to what they will be in the NFL. And and yeah, multiple readers have pointed it out. Clay Matthews is a great example. Five and a half sacks in college. Right. By the end of his rookie year in the NFL, he had more than that, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And, and obviously went on to multiple double-digit sack seasons and Pro Bowls and everything else. So... 
it's why the scouts do what they do. It's why they're charged with the duties that they're charged with. It's to uh, it, it's to make those decisions. Now, of course, not all of them work out, but uh, but Rashawn Gary is a guy that uh, the Packers did their homework on him, and they really believe in him. I'm glad you brought up the highlight thing because the the truth of the matter is, is I could take you right now down to the Ray Nitschke Field, <laughs> and I could bring a Super 8 camera, and I could create a highlight tape of Mike Spofford <laughs> running around the field and you know throwing footballs and catching footballs and everything. It still wouldn't look very good. <laughs> if you edit it up <laughs> enough, though, if we get Matt Arvin on that, it might not look too bad. All right. But the reality is, is what you see beyond the film, what you see beyond the highlights. And that's where Gary, what's what made him a first round draft pick. Yeah. So, and then it was and also a high really, pick at that. Yeah, it was great to hear him talk about his decision process too. He understands what he was doing when he took number fifty two. He understands the expectations that go along with having that number a year after Clay Matthews leaves. But he wanted it. He even threw out the little bit of an anecdote that five minus two is three. That was his number at Michigan. But he's not shying away from that. I Overall, we only had about seven, eight minutes with the young man, but I was impressed with my first interaction with him. Yeah, and I would say in general, the draft picks that, that, uh, that I was involved in, you know, the group interviews as we've talked about, just a, a really well-spoken bunch, uh, you know, whether it was Darnell Savage talking about, uh, you know, another guy who wore a single-digit number right. in college. He did that uh, taking up the uh, the number of Will Likely, who was a fellow defensive back of his, kind of took him under his wing when he first got to Maryland. And then when Likely tore an ACL his senior year and then was moving on, um, Savage took his number four. Now he's back to wearing number 26, which is what he wore his first couple years. I was years hoping he was going to wear four. Maryland. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of dropped the hint to him that, uh, you know, he said, well, yeah, defensive backs can't wear four in the NFL. I said, well, no one can wear number four here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure if he totally heard me when I said yeah. that. But anyway, but even uh, talking to Jay Sternberger, another really well spoken guy, very self aware in terms of his journey going from. He made a tremendous transition from junior college to the SEC, but he also comes across to me as somebody who's not taking anything for granted in terms of just because I did that, that I'm just going to walk onto an NFL field and own the place. Right. You know, and I, the the self awareness there I think was encouraging. And then talking to the Packers' final draft pick, Ty Summers, the linebacker out of TCU. This is a former quarterback in high school. When he talks about football, he talks like a quarterback. Yeah. He just, you know, he's got that he's got that broad understanding of everything going on. And it was interesting getting his perspective about how having played played quarterback really helped him when he made the transition to linebacker in Gary Patterson's defense at TCU. So we've got a bunch of stories going up on the website uh, based on these interviews. You posted one on Rashawn Gary on Monday. There's a Darnell Savage one for me on Tuesday. Sternberger will be Wednesday. We'll hit some of the other draft picks uh, next week as well. So for all the fans out there, keep an eye out. But uh, um, anything else in terms of just your first impression of this group that stood out to you? I also want to just touch on uh, Kadar Holman, uh, who was the sixth-round pick that the Packers took out of Toledo. Toledo, yeah. Uh, it was really – we had heard the stories uh, during his conference call about the odd jobs he worked when he was trying to get, you know, basically eligible to be, you know, to go to college. Right. Academically, his SAT scores aren't what they needed to be. He goes to a prep school for a year or, a, you know, a semester. He's hoping that that might be his avenue, uh, his conduit to being able to go and, and, you know, get into college. It actually doesn't work out that way. Uh, scores still weren't what they needed to be. So he took that next semester as all of his friends are going off to college and he had to work common jobs. And, you know, he mentioned there was one that he worked, uh, you know, unloading trucks around the tri-state area. And the way that job worked was you couldn't 
actually just go home at the end of the night. They put you up in hotels. You're doing these road trips, and you just got to keep wow. going and going and going. So it wasn't like a nine to five. You know, you go, you, you punch. So your he time was a traveling man, is what you're saying. He only did that for two weeks. Okay. Uh, and you know, he also worked a couple other odd jobs. Worked at a, a bread factory at one point. And what he did during that time was it wasn't that he really ever needed a kick in the pants per se. He always was striving to get to college. He wanted to play Division One football, but he just had to overcome some hurdles academically to do that. But he would look around these places and he'd see people that were in their 40s and 50s and say to himself, you know, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to be able to go get the education that my mother was wanting me to you know, pursue. I want to be able to show that I can play at that level. And then he ends up at Toledo. He starts as a walk-on. He earns a scholarship. You know, you don't hear – there's been some exceptions in recent years, but you don't hear a whole lot of, you know, major NFL prospects coming out of the MAC. And, yeah. you know, he made it a big point that he wanted to do that. He runs a 4-3-6. He knows his ticket to this team. He's probably going to be on special teams. He wants to show what he can do in that capacity. But the road that he traveled to get to this point is something that I think ultimately makes him appreciative of this opportunity. But it's something he said, too, that also makes him a better football player, too, because he's seen the other side of this thing. Yeah, the the – the competitive drive of these guys, a lot of these guys, just to get to this point. It's why, you know, you and I have been around this long enough, and there, you know, we'll have discussions in OTAs when they start later this month, and we start to see these guys out on the field and even early in training camp. Nobody's story is written by one great no. practice or one bad practice or anything like that. I mean, the, the, the competitive drive of these guys, once they really kind of get settled in to the NFL and kind of figure out what it takes, that's when you really decide, okay, is this guy going to make it in the NFL or not? And that, that moment doesn't happen at the same time right. for all for all these guys. It, it, it happens at different times. Absolutely. And the other thing I want to touch on quickly before I know you got to take care of some sponsorship business here on that's, Packers Unscripted. That's right. Jay Sternberger, you mentioned the self-awareness that he showed. The thing that impresses me, too, is he understands the plight of a lot of tight ends coming in the league. He knows it's difficult for a rookie to come in and just set everything ablaze. But he has two good veterans to learn from and Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis he's going to take advantage of that I just I really like his temperament he understands he's not a he's not a finished product yeah it's really only been playing major college football for one season right in terms of you know being out there extensively and I, I I said it before the draft Michael you want to get a tight end prospect in the pipeline because the thing is, if you keep kicking the can down the road, you're still going to need to develop that guy. He's still going to need a season or two to go. If Jay Sternberger can come in and make a day one impact, fantastic. Nobody's going to complain about that. But if it does take some time, you want to be able to have patience with him. And the Packers have two veterans on this roster, along with Robert Tanyan, that can allow him to do that. Yeah, no question about it. All right, well, that sponsor business you mentioned, Wes, the Green Bay Packers get ready for game day. With the powerful noise-canceling technology of Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2, learn more at www.bose.com Packers. Bose, the official headphones of the Green Bay Packers. And at home or here in the stands, we all know that Green Bay fans give it their all, and that takes a lot of energy. So grab a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Packers fans everywhere. Try the delicious classic chicken noodle soup. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, official soup partner of the Green Bay Packers. Okay, aside from the draft picks, the Packers did announce 11 undrafted free agent signings last week, and then now that has increased to, is it 13? It would technically be 12. 12? Uh, What they did is, I mean, it depends on how you look at it. They added 
uh, a receiver. I'm trying to remember his name off the top of my head. Darius Shepard Shepherd, from yeah. North Dakota State. I guess technically um, maybe Curtis Bolton falls into that too, although Bolton I think was in the camp. They added another guy uh, from Philadelphia that was in the league last year. but Yeah, not a rookie. Yeah, as it stands, yeah. the guys coming into this thing, I believe the number is 12. Okay. Undrafted undrafted rookies who have now joined the fray. One of those, Shepard, you mentioned was uh, here on a tryout basis, right. was, the, was one of the tryout players who did end up getting a contract at the end of things. You and I got an opportunity on the day that the rookies arrived before they had their uh, first meetings and first practices and all that to talk to a couple of these undrafted rookies. You took the time to chat with Manny Wilkins, the quarterback from Arizona State. Interesting story with this kid because, uh, boy, you look at the stats, a three-year starter in the Pac-12 and uh, suffered a knee injury, unfortunately. Was was it his last game, the bowl game? His last throw. His yeah, la- his, in the yeah, bowl game. In the, in the bowl, bowl game. And that may have been the reason that he wasn't drafted. This is a quarterback who probably is going to get drafted if he finishes his college career completely healthy. Yeah, yeah he, he has self-awareness as well. We were talking about that. He understood it was going to be an uphill battle for him to get drafted in the first place. But once he tore his MCL on literally the last throw of that game and of his college career, 1,114 of them, that was it. So then he ends up tearing his MCL. He actually requires surgery. Sometimes you can get away with not having it. Right. He needed it. And then he ended up getting cleared, I think it was two days before the ASU Pro Day. And that's a much longer recovery if you have surgery on the MCL right. as opposed to if it doesn't require yeah, surgery. Yeah, if you're going invasive. And, and he yeah. ends up still running. I think it was somewhere in the 4.7s he runs a 40. Uh, a very interesting prospect, and one of the reasons why I picked him as sort of the UFA to, to, to zone, in, zone in on was, you know, I, I know a lot of people out in Arizona that have covered him, have been associated with that football program. And they just, they just say wonderful things about this guy. A natural-born leader, a guy that really was sort of the glue that held that team together during that transition to Herm Edwards. Right. And just the guy that steps out front of everything has an interesting backstory. You know, he lost his father when he was 10 years old, um, and, and he ended up, you know, kind of getting raised by a combination of his mother and his aunt and uncle. He ends up becoming a four-star recruit out of California and then, you know, blossoms into this really solid starter for them for three seasons. He has a real tall build. You know, he's 6'3", but somewhat slender for the position. He only goes about 200, but a lot of athleticism and a live arm. So the Packers have had success the last few years with undrafted quarterbacks, and and Wilkins was fully aware of that when he decided to sign on here and, and try to, you know, take his shot now at, at making the NFL. Yeah, and we'll see what happens as uh, things proceed through OTAs and toward training camp because, as we all know, when you have four quarterbacks, and Matt LaFleur even mentioned this, when you have four quarterbacks, it is difficult to get those third and fourth guys, the the, the reps that you need. And, and let's face it, the Packers are moving forward here with what I think is going to be a legitimate battle for the number two job between Deshaun Kaiser and Tim Boyle yeah. with everything that they learned last year and and moving forward there that the the number two job is is not settled. So you definitely want to get both of those guys the reps that they need to see who should be the top backup to uh, to Rodgers. But, uh, but yeah, the athletic ability and the arm strength, looking at him for just the half hour we were out there on the field, that's what really stood out to me about Wilkins. Yeah, and it was interesting too. I mean, you obviously talked to Eaton from Iowa State like seeing these guys in that rookie camp again you mentioned we only had a half an hour but it's always interesting when you kind of see these quarterbacks arms for the first time when you see how these receivers run routes and starting to build that that chemistry so yeah um, as far as uh, this process it's so interesting because you have two days to catch up to everything and then you're gone for a week and then you're back and 
now you're in there with Aaron Rodgers and you know Devontae Adams. It's it's quite a whirlwind. Yeah, and my my undrafted player interview, as you said, was with Matthew Eaton, a wide receiver from Iowa State, and. I chose him for a couple of different reasons. One, it was a position the Packers did not add a draft pick at wide receiver. Obviously, the three draft picks from a year ago all heading into their second year here, but a position that a a new draft pick was not added. But also, a guy who now is coming to Green Bay where he's going to be competing with a former teammate of his, an Alan Lazard, who was a late-season pickup by the Packers last year. He had uh, started his rookie year on Jacksonville's practice squad had gone undrafted out of Iowa State, now is in the Green Bay locker room. Turns out he was the guy who kind of took Eaton under his wing in Ames, Iowa, when Eaton showed up from junior college. He had gone from originally playing at Temple to then junior college and then getting an opportunity at Iowa State. He said that the uh, the coaching staff at Toledo is the the staff that kind of moved to Iowa State, and they had had their eyes on him when he was at Temple and left to go to junior college. And so then after he got his time in at junior college, that coaching staff then from Toledo was in Ames, Iowa with the Cyclones, and they brought him up there and got him into the program. Now this is a guy, he's kind of been you know, a number two, number three receiver on a pretty explosive offense because you had Lazard a couple years ago. You had Hakeem Butler as a wide receiver who was drafted uh, this past uh, month. And then uh, David Montgomery has been the stud running back in that offense. And he was drafted high in the third round by the Chicago Bears who traded up to get him. So you just wonder if he's one of these under-the-radar guys who – and he takes nothing away from the teammates that he played with, and he certainly has a great relationship with Lazard. Um, he said, hey, you know, the ball should have gone to those guys. Like, I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from them. But when a guy puts up some pretty decent numbers in an offense where the ball more often is going to other people, you just wonder if maybe the – potential has not been maximized yet. I guess that's what right. I'm trying to say. Yeah, and that's ultimately, that, that was my number one takeaway when I was reading your story about him, is that if you're looking at undrafted free agents, these are the type of guys you look for. The guys that, you know, maybe they just didn't quite show everything that they had or they didn't have an opportunity to. That's right. why I've drawn the comparison a couple times, and it's it's a high comparison considering the success he's had in the league so far, but I thought, I see a lot of Geronimo Allison and Eaton when you look at his Absolutely. Path. To me, he looks, he, I mean, he's 6'4", 210. He looks exactly like Allison looked when he showed up as an right. undrafted rookie from Illinois a few years ago. The, the, the similarities in terms of just the, the physical body type and the way they move and everything, definitely very similar in terms of that the, the first arrival, first impression. Absolutely, and the fact that you know they also went that JUCO route before they finally ended up you know settling on their feet and making an impact. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just it's going to be a wide open race. I think that the receiver competition right now with Randall Cobb moving on, you have Allison back from the core injury, you have the three young receivers. I think you know sometimes people forget about Trevor Davis is still in that mix as well, along with Lazard and all these other guys. It's going to be a great competition to see how all these guys fit. Yeah, Jake Kumaro in that mix too, of course. Yeah, yeah. right, absolutely. And, yeah. and Eaton understands the opportunities that's ahead of him. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, one other guy I wanted to ask you about because um, I'm still not sure how to say his name, so I'm going to lay it on you. But I'm going to guess um, you're going with Yash Nijman. Yeah, that guy. Yep. Yeah, out of God Tech. Big dude. Huge. I mean, dude. well, t- tell. I mean, I, I know another undrafted guy now, not one that we had an opportunity to talk to right. necessarily, but uh, um, but man, you certainly 
notice him when uh, when you're there, just even for a few minutes at practice? A few minutes of practice, you and I were standing in the locker room waiting to talk to these guys, and you see him walk through it. I mean, that's <laughs> the guy you went off the bus when you get ready for the preseason game. I yeah. mean, uh, Neichman is a, is a big dude. Now, a three-year starter at Vatech, you were talking about, you know, you look at some of these guys, like Wilkins being a three-year starter in the Pac-12. Uh, Nijman has a lot of experience in the ACC, taking on some high-caliber talent. Yeah. Played tackle left side for two years, played the right side last year. The big thing for those big guys, once you get above that 6'5 range, you have to be really on top of your pad level. But in terms of just massive human being and a guy that, if, if you can sure up some of the fundamentals, uh, just a world, you know, a ton of talent in his body. And I think the Packers, looking at him as one of these mini guys in this class that, you know, could potentially be one of those hidden gems and, and diamonds in the rough uh, when you're you know, looking in September and two or three of these guys end up making the roster every year. Yeah, and when you, uh, that's what I was going to say, too. When you, you look at the history, now obviously – you're going to carry usually nine or 10, sometimes even 11 offensive linemen on your 53-man roster. So there is opportunity there for undrafted players to make an impression and to stick. And you're also usually going to have one or two of your practice squad spots are occupied by offensive linemen as well. So uh, just first impression, the sheer size of him, and as you said, then the experience coming from a major college conference like the ACC playing at Virginia Tech, definitely got to keep an eye on. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I think, you know, the spotlight in the stadium is not going to be too big for him. He's going to understand where he is and now has to show that teams may have passed up on him in the draft, but, you know, there's still a lot of ability there. Yeah, all right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com and subscribe to our podcast if you prefer to listen to us rather than watch us, which I guess I wouldn't blame you for that. But anyway, <laughs> um, iTunes and other podcast services, subscribe us, subscribe to us, like us, all that good stuff. On Twitter, follow him at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers. For the team account, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.